All right, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians, and uh, we are finishing up our talk from last week, and so um, we will spend just a few moments together uh, getting into the Word of God, and uh, so Philippians chapter 4, and uh, I will do a quick review just to catch everybody up, but um, I want to say real quick before we even get into the message, uh, it is really, really great to have Dory with us this morning, Dory Aldridge, and so yeah, you guys definitely applaud that. Um, many of you know that she's been on a little bit of a journey, and uh, but she uh, went through everything fine and recovering now, and so we're praying, continuing to pray for her, but what a praise, and, and they wanted to make sure, Dave and Dory wanted us me to share that they so appreciate the prayers and the love and encouragement they've received from the church during this time, and so, uh, but continue to pray for her, that recovery will continue to come fast, and uh, everything will go according to plan, and so we appreciate that. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, and this morning, as I said, we're going to be kind of finishing up our talk from last week. We've been in a series called, He's Still Got the Whole World in His Hands. Uncertainty is God's favorite environment. We mentioned that last week. Uh, it seems that when he gets the most accomplished during times of uncertainty, and we said last week, uncertainty and fear, or uncertainty creates rather fear and insecurity in us, not in God. That God is never taken by surprise when times of uncertainty come into our lives. Uh, when we go through those times of uncertainty, we must know the truth is you're not alone. That's one of the greatest lies the enemy will tell us, is that when you go through a struggle, whether it's personal, whether it's something in your family, whether it's something in our community, in our culture, so many times we'll think, well, I'm the only one going through this. Nobody else can understand what I'm going through. The uncertainty that I'm going with or struggling with, the battles that I'm battling with, uh, you need to know you are not alone. Other people have understood, will understand and have gone through as well. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the fact that the Bible itself is filled with stories of how God moved among tremendous times of uncertainty. The Bible is not filled with feel-good stories of everything always going according to plan. That's not how it works out in Scripture. Rather, it's filled with stories of real people experiencing real life and its struggles and yet seeing God's hand move. And so this morning, we're going to finish up where we started last week. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 4. We started talking about the reality that when we can go through uncertain times, that we can pray until peace comes. We can pray until peace comes. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's the Apostle Paul writing here, and it is hard to have this mindset, is it not? Anybody ever struggle with rejoicing always? Anybody? Okay, a couple people want to raise their hand. The rest of you, I don't know, I'm not going to say you're lying, but let's be real for a minute. There's times in our lives we don't just jump up and down in joy, right? Times where we're like, man, Lord, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. I don't want to deal with it again. It's obviously right now with things going on, people are frustrated and there's hatred and anger and just confusion uncertainty, confusion, chaos all around us, it seems like. But listen, as we said the first week, that's nothing new. That's been since the fall in the garden. And so this morning when we read these words, I don't want these to be just words we read on a page. I pray that it will be something that we'll actually desire to apply to our lives. Not to go through everything, but we talked about last week that Paul wrote these words while sitting in a Roman prison 
after being shipwrecked and stranded on an island for about three months. And after his imprisonment in Rome, which he's currently in, he's there for about two years roughly. He's going to be beheaded for the faith and martyred for his faith. The Apostle Paul, many of you know, was known as Saul in the early part of Acts, and he arrested Christians and saw them be led to persecution. And so Paul, as a Roman citizen, knows exactly what's awaiting him. He knows that when he leaves that Roman prison, he's not going to be set free, at least not this side of heaven. He knows his life will come to an end. And so it's said, and history tells us, that Paul was led out of the city of Rome and beheaded for his faith. But yet Paul writes, sitting in a prison cell, After all that he went through, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You see, when things become uncertain, just a quick review from last week, when things become uncertain, we remain joyful in the Lord. We, by God's grace and through the word of God, through the Spirit's equipping, determine that no matter what circumstance occurs, nothing will steal our joy in the Lord. We must not allow the cares of this world to push us back and forth as though we have no foundation. We have in Christ a solid foundation. We stand on, the Bible says, the solid rock. Right? We didn't build our house on sinking sand, as a foolish builder would do. We built our house, our lives are built on the rock of Jesus Christ. See, the foundation you stand on that's so secure is not you. It's not your ability, it's not your intelligence, it's not your finances, it's not any of that. Those things are blessings and we can be appreciative for those things when they come. But our foundation is more sure than those things. Remember 2008, how many people were trusting in their finances and realized there was no financial security? All of a sudden, all these people that had these beautiful homes, upside down now, selling their homes for not nearly what they either invested or paid for it originally. So they found out, they became aware, wait a minute, these things that I thought were giving me purpose can be taken away. But when we lay our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, no matter what we go through, we will have the joy of the Lord. See, the cares of this world are not just the possessions and the stuff. If I allow myself to be caught up in the stress and the confusion, and I start fearing the things the world fears, as though I have no foundation, then I'm caught up in the cares of the world, just like the one that's caught up in the possessions and the stuff. One author said it this way, and I I referenced this last week, reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that reality. See, we need to understand God is good and his mercy is ever-present to renew that strength that we need every day. And so when our emotions begin to kind of drift into the cares of the world, We remain joyful because we know he is good. So, quick review. We remain joyful in the Lord, no matter what our circumstances are. We remain joyful in the Lord, but also we set an example for others. We talked about this last week as well. Verses 4 and 5, let's look at it again. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Now this phrase, let your moderation be known, this is kind of an interesting phrase. That word moderation can be translated as graciousness, gentleness, gentle spirit, reasonable, and forbearance. That's a really powerful word when you think about it. 
The idea is there's a gentle spirit that becomes evident to all men. That when we are remaining joyful in the Lord, that our gentle spirit, where does that come from? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That gentleness that we have, that graciousness that we can extend to others is because we know no matter what happens, I don't need to stress. I don't need to worry. Now, some of you are like professional warriors. Like you worry for other people who aren't even worried. And I'm going to say probably you may or may not be a mom if that's you. I'm just saying, my mom used to worry about, I'd come home a little late. You could be laying in a ditch somewhere. What do you think I'm doing that I'm going to end up in a ditch somewhere? Like, what am I? I'm not a drug dealer. Like, what are you talking about here? I just went and hung out with some friends. Like, we were at the park. Like, I'm not, what's going on here? Some of us are worriers. And we just, we have this human bent to worry and stress and fear. And if we're being honest, we can laugh about that, but it can consume us. And we lose sleep over these things sometimes. But when we step back and we say, no, you know, I need to remind myself that I can have the joy of the Lord because I am set on Christ. That then when I live this life in a community full of uncertainty, I don't need to try to convince other people of my opinion or my view or my this or my that. I can just share with them that graciousness that God has given me. I can let my, the peace that we're going to talk about that I have in Christ be extended to those around me. Because here's the thing, if somebody doesn't have Christ and they're living in today's day and age, where's their peace coming from? Spend a few minutes on social media. Spend a few minutes watching the news. You're going to find out real quick, there's no peace. There's no certainty. There's no guarantees. And so rather than coming with all of our aggression, trying to quote unquote convince somebody to think or do this or that, man, let's go gentle. Let's extend a grace to them. Doesn't mean we don't speak truth, but we better speak truth in love. I think of all of these words, and it really connects to the core of the meaning of the word moderation. That we have as believers, when we face uncertainty and difficult times, we can and should show grace and gentleness to others, which is reasonable when we realize nothing steals our joy. The Apostle Paul says also in this verse, not just to believers, but to who? To all men. This includes both those in Christ, the church, and those who are far from Christ. You can reference Philippians 2.15, where he talks about those that live in this perverse and crooked nation. By the way, there's always been perverse and crooked leaders and perverse and crooked nations. There's nothing new there. See, again, this is over 2,000 years ago, Paul's writing these words to us. When we choose to focus on the Lord in all circumstances, it's a change from an inward focus, which only causes increased anxiety, to an outward focus, first to the Lord, then to others, by demonstrating this grace that we're talking about. So we can remain joyful in the Lord because we know our, our, our foundation is sure, but also we can remain joyful in the Lord to set an example for others, that they don't need to fear and stress. This is why I'll tell you, um, in your bulletin note, I pray that you read that. If you didn't yet, if you didn't get a bulletin, you can grab one before you go. It'll be on Facebook tomorrow. I mentioned in there that if we offer temporary solutions to eternal problems, we're not going to get anywhere. It's not about getting this or that person in office that's going to change someone's heart and soul. I'm all for making our voice known. But listen, if we're only looking at temporary solutions for eternal problems, we're not realizing we have something greater to offer. We have a higher calling. We can share our opinions and ideologies and all of that. It's fine. But if that's where your core is and you think that's what's going to bring life change, you're mistaken. 
We need to share that gospel because the gospel is the power of change. The gospel is the power of peace of God in all circumstances. So verse 6, let's continue into some new material quickly. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. This is a very familiar verse to most of us. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This idea here, this phrase, be careful for nothing. Some of your translations might say, be anxious for nothing. And be anxious for nothing. That's a pretty bold statement. But again, who's writing this? The Apostle Paul, who had reason to be a little anxious as he's awaiting his execution. You see, when we pray, which is what the Apostle Paul is encouraging here, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. By prayer. What's the, what's the way we battle anxiety in our lives? Praying. Going to the one that is sovereign over all things. And here's the thing. When we pray for a certain thing or in a certain direction and God seems to move in a different direction, we don't get upset. We don't get mad. We realize, God, maybe I wasn't understanding the real need here. God, I thought this is what was needed, but maybe you know better. And this is actually what's needed. Doesn't mean we don't pray believing and in faith. Uh, many of you know my stepdad was recently diagnosed with cancer, and I'm so thankful for all the prayer support. Um, I was blessed to be able to speak at a church down in the city of Wayne. Uh, Seth McDonald is the pastor there. And that church, I, I was sharing with Seth a little bit a few months ago, when, a couple months ago when all this was coming down. And he said, we're going to be praying for you. And I got constantly like a card from that church. I don't even know half these people. I only spoke there a couple times. But this church was praying for me, praying for him. Now, when I know that God is, God's people rather are moving to prayer, I believe God is going to heal. Whether it be through medication or whether it be through miraculous means, I don't really care. It's God's going to heal no matter what. Maybe God will heal by taking him home. And then he'll really be healed. <laughs> well, what happens if God, that's what I was getting at. What if God doesn't answer the prayer the way I want him to answer it? I can get mad, I can get angry, I can remember that he's not an on-demand God, that he is sovereign, I am not. And I'm asking for what he, I believe he would want, but ultimately we trust God in this. See, when we pray, sometimes God intervenes in our circumstances. How about when God set Paul and Silas free from prison? Miraculously, there was an earthquake and the, the doors opened. How about when God sets Peter free in the book of Acts from prison? I've always loved that story because the church was gathered together praying for Peter to be released. Peter shows up at the door. What do they say? She comes back. The woman that sits at the door says, oh my goodness, it's Peter. Hey, Peter's at the door. Hey, be quiet. We're praying for Peter. <laughs> Pray in faith, right? I love that story for a couple reasons. This is a side sermon and a, and a side point. What was the church doing? You know what it says? They were just in a house praying together. They didn't need some dynamic speaker to come and draw them in. They didn't need some great praise team. We have a great praise team, do we not? And praise God for the talent that God has blessed us with. But we, they didn't need a praise team to get everyone, you know, woo! They just said, hey, y'all, Peter's in prison. We need to be praying for Peter. I love what Jim Cimbala said. I've said this before. I don't think it's true of our church because you're going to understand why in a second. Jim Cimbala said this. You can tell the popularity of the church by the Sunday morning attendance. You can tell the popularity of the pastor by Sunday evening attendance. And you can tell the popularity of Jesus Christ by the prayer meeting attendance. 
Man, the church didn't need anything. It wasn't like, oh, who's going to be there? Oh, okay, I kind of like them. Okay, I'll come. Right. What kind of refreshments are y'all going to have? Are you going to have some, some cookies or a cheesecake from Tracy's? Because if you're having a cheesecake from Tracy's, I'll be there. They didn't need any of that. They just said, hey, we have a need. Let's come together and pray. For me, that's a huge reminder of the purpose of the church. We're just supposed to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and edify the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry, of course. But anywhere you read in scripture, prayer is a key foundational point of the church. And so I just want to kind of stop there for just a second and kind of point that out, that we pray individually, but we also pray as a church. So when we pray, sometimes... God intervenes in our circumstances like he did with these individuals. All the time when we pray, there is the offer of peace if we come open-handed and make the secrets of our hearts known to us and to him. See, when we pray, sometimes God intervenes. Praise God. Sometimes he brings healing. Sometimes he sets them free. Sometimes he does a great work. Sometimes we pray for food and groceries show up. Sometimes we pray for a bill to be paid and money shows up in the mailbox. I never forget a kid in college who went to the mailroom. He opens the mailbox and pulls out a check for like a couple hundred dollars. Now, we were in college. I was like hoarding quarters because I was like, I was that broke, okay? I'm like buying ramen by like the huge cases of it because I just, that's all I could afford, okay? I, I like ramen too. Yeah, absolutely. I love ramen. Well, not as much as I used to because you eat it for four years straight. You smell that stuff cooking in the microwave. You're like, whoop, okay, so... Any college students can testify. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It took me like four years before I could eat ramen again, okay? But I looked at it. He pulls this down. He goes, oh, that's cool. I was like, what's up? He's like, oh, I just got this check for like, I don't know what it was, like 200 some dollars. Folds it up, puts it in his pocket. I was like, you just got a check for 200 some dollars? Yeah. You should be a little more excited about this. I was like, does this happen all the time? He goes, kind of. It's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, I have this need this bill or whatever they need to come do. I don't have a way to pay for it. So I just prayed. I said, God, you got to take care of this because this is, I'm doing your, your calling. I'm in Bible college for you. You got to meet this need. And God met the need. I said, that literally happens often. Oh yeah. You know what this kid was like when he wasn't collecting money from the mailbox? He was adamant in prayer. Man, it'd be many times I'd go in his room and he'd be just on his knees praying, just crying out to God for hours. See, God sometimes intervenes, but all the time he offers us the peace of Christ. That even when he doesn't intervene, when we don't see him working, he says, but I'll give you a peace if you'll be open-handed and share with me the true, deep longings of your heart. In the verse there, it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The word known here in this verse means to clarify, to make known or declare, to clarify. It's the idea of more than sharing or presenting something in prayer to God, but revealing the depth of the need. Not because we must inform God of our situation, but because we need to reveal to ourselves what is driving that request. It's so much more. It's, it's moving beyond, Lord, help me to get a job. Lord, help me to take care of this or that specific thing. It's about revealing to ourselves the legitimate concerns at the core. It's where basically we pray, God, would you help me take care of this situation? But the reason I'm praying that is because, God, do you even care? God, do you even know? 
Like it's, it's those deep longings where it's not just these surface things, which are fine to bring before God. But we want to go, God, what's behind that surface thing? What's really leading me to call out to you in this way? What fear maybe am I experiencing that's leading me to cry out this way to you and ask you to intervene? It doesn't mean we don't ask for his help with areas of our lives, of course, but we understand that we are free in Christ to share all that we are going through in the depth of reality. Just be honest with him and cry out to him. Last verse, verse 7. When we do this, as laid out here in Scripture, he says this in verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, when we pray, sometimes he intervenes, but he always offers the peace. What kind of peace? The peace of Christ. When we pray until peace comes, we will see the peace of God in our lives. This isn't instead of working hard or doing your part. This isn't sitting on our hands and saying, okay, God, fix it. This is instead of allowing your anxiety to get the best of you. This is about placing into God's hands what only God's hands are capable of handling. Praying until peace comes, one author says it this way, begins like this. Heavenly Father, I need. I need. And I'm afraid that if I don't, and we fill in the blank. I need God. I need you to intervene. I need this. I'm, I'm scared of that. I'm afraid if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. See, it's being that real with God in our prayer lives. So many of us are afraid to pray those kind of prayers. And although God knows our hearts, why do I need to pray that then? Because when I put my words to it, I'm not only acknowledging it before God, I'm acknowledging it to myself. I'm saying, God, I need to know that this is my real need so that I can actually give it to you. So what is that fill in the blank for you? When I say that, Heavenly Father, I need, and I'm afraid that if I don't, where does your mind go? What do your thoughts drift to? What, what would you fill in that blank with for yourself? Then there it is. That's your request. That's what you pray until peace comes. That's what you need to make known to you and then hand off to your heavenly father. When life is uncertain, God is not. He still has the whole world in his hands. And so I want to ask you this morning, we're going to have just a little time of prayer. I think we have another song, right? Do we have another song? Okay. So we're not going to have you guys come forward, obviously, but I want you to do this. I want you to spend some time this morning just crying out to him and just saying, God, this is the depth of my need. I want us to continue to be people of prayer, a church of prayer. When we pray, everything changes, even though our circumstances may not change. When we pray, an honest, heartfelt, sincere, crying out to God type prayer. I'm not talking about what I call popcorn prayers. You guys know what popcorn prayers are, right? When you're right before food and you got your face over that plate of nachos and you're smelling that and you say, would you pray for the food? You're like, mm, sure. Amen. Nobody at the table knows what you said. They just heard amen and start eating. It's great to pray for our food. I'm not saying we don't pray for our food, but I'm just saying those are what I call kind of like popcorn prayers. They're just short, to the point. And those are great. Sometimes you're driving down the road. You ever have an ambulance pass you? And you just real quick, Lord, I pray you'd be with that situation. That's, those, are, those are great and good. 
What I'm talking about is getting on our face. Maybe not literally, but spiritually, getting on our face before the Lord. Sometimes, maybe you get up in the morning before anyone else. You just get a quiet place in the house and you just fall on your knees and say, God, this is what I'm battling with. God, this is what I need to lay before you. If you're feeling stress and fear and worry from what's going on around us, then I, I'm going to encourage you. You need to get on your knees. You say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand all the hatred and anger. Then you know what, Lord? Use me to be the lighthouse in this community. Lord, start in me a revival that I would share your grace with them, speaking the truth in love. Let's be a people of prayer, a church of prayer, and watch God, because here's what's going to happen. When we focus on that kind of prayer life and we get in his word and we're filling our minds with the things of God, verse eight, I wasn't going to read it, but real quick, we got some time. Y'all ain't that hungry, so we'll keep going. Okay, verse eight, real quick. Finally, brethren. Now, what's interesting here is Paul says, finally, brethren, but does Paul end right after verse eight? No, because I believe Paul was Baptist, okay? Because he says in verse eight, finally, and he writes until verse 23, okay? It's like when a pastor says, in closing, it means nothing. Okay. <laughs> finally, brethren. Now, he really says, finally, why? He says, kind of bringing everything to a point, bringing everything to culmination, everything I've written to this point. So obviously, to understand fully what he's saying, what do I need to know? What's in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four to this point? I got to go back. I got to read these scriptures to understand what he's driving at. But I believe in this immediate context, we can get an idea here. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Then he goes a step farther. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know what Paul was saying? As best I can, I'm living an example and a testimony before you. How can Paul say, think like this, have the peace of God, have the joy of the Lord, no matter what you go through, because he's sitting in a Roman prison. And he says, hey, those things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So the things you've heard from me directly and heard about me is what he's saying. As I'm sitting in this prison cell, do those things. Not because Paul was perfect, if you think Paul was perfect, read Romans 7. He struggled just like we all do. What he's saying, in this moment, I've grown to a point where I've learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So sitting in a Roman prison, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, who suffered and died for us, was taken before Pilate, but yet as a sheep before the slaughter, said nothing. Paul is following the example of Christ. So he's saying, just follow my examples. I keep my eyes on Christ. And this is what will happen. When you do this, the God of peace shall be with you. So what about my circumstance, pastor? What if, the, what if this doesn't work out? What if this or that doesn't happen? But what about this? And what about that in politics? What about this and that in the culture? What about this and that in the world? Mm -mm. No, the God of peace will be with you. I love the great commission in Matthew. And he talks about going and making the gospel known and baptizing and all that. But then he says this, he says, I will be with you until the end of the age. See, he calls us to step out like sheep among wolves. By the way, who wins in that fight? If you put a sheep and a wolf in a pen, who wins? 
the wolf. Okay, unless it's like super sheep or something. Like he's like got like mutation powers like Spider-Man or something. I don't know. Why did Jesus use that example? Because man, it sure seems like we're losing. It sure seems like we're not gaining much ground. But don't take or don't fear, take courage because the God of peace will be with you. What does Paul say? Take my life. That's fine. It's gain. I'd rather be with Christ anyway. See, we have to understand that we need to realize our perspective has to lift off of this temporary and focus on the heavenly and say, no, there is a home waiting for me, a, a, a place that he is building for us so that where he is, there we will be also. Doesn't mean, again, this word people say, well, yeah, what about speaking against this or speaking against sin? I'm not talking about that. We can speak truth. We don't compromise the truth of God's word, but we better do it in love. And as Paul says, with a graciousness. Because by the way, you used to be like them that don't know. But now you just happen to have received the knowledge of Christ. And so my encouragement to you is this. Let's stop thinking that we're up here and they're down there. Let's realize that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all need grace. So let's give some gospel this week. Let's be praying for God to move and let's make the gospel known. Because as it says in the bulletin note, only the gospel has the power to change lives. Everything else is momentary. Band-aids for eternal problems don't last. We need the gospel. And so let's be excited to share it with someone this week and let's be praying and asking God, God, give me those whatsoever thoughts. That's what I call Philippians 4.8, those whatsoever thoughts. I want my mind to be dwelling on the things above, not on the things below. And when you do that with consistency in your life, your circumstances may never change, but your hearts and your perspective of those things will change because the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we ask God that you would lead, guide, and direct in all that has been said and done. Father, we pray that as we come before you this morning and we want to open our hearts and minds to you, that you would just speak and move. We thank you for every person that is here this morning. And I'm so thankful for the way in which you've already led us through your word. Father, I pray that nobody this morning walks away thinking about my words, but we walk away this morning thinking about your word. See, it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. And so I pray that we would have that, that peace that you offer to us and know that it's available to us through the working of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be people of prayer. And we feel our stress rising, our anxiety rising, fears rise, which is all humanly normal. When things happen we don't like, situations come into our lives we didn't expect, I pray that we would know that no matter what, you are with us. Father, I pray again that if there's anyone in this service this morning that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they would know there is no good work good enough to get us to your heaven. There is no religious activity good enough to get us into your heaven. I can't do enough on my own. I can't be good enough on my own. I need you. We need you. So I pray if there's someone here that hasn't received Christ, that they would know that 2,000 years ago that you were born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. Lord Jesus, you died on a sinner's cross, taking the punishment and the penalty for sin. And that whosoever would call out to you can be saved. You were taken off that sinner's cross, laid in a borrowed tomb and rose again, showing your victory over sin and death and hell. And so I pray, Father, if there's somebody in this service this morning that has not made that decision, that they would trust in you 
right now. Stop trusting in themselves and their good works and realize that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as we all have. And that sin carries a consequence in eternity and that consequence is a place called hell. That those who die in their sins apart from Christ will spend eternity separated from Christ, separated from God in hell. But you offer a better way. You offer a path to, Christ, to heaven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I pray that somebody here this morning would cry out this morning and just ask, God, would you save me from my sins? I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again, that I would live for you. I pray, Father, you'd work in that way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.